This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Welcome to The Black Podcast, the podcast where we talk to well-known guests about their lives, their careers, and navigating and negotiating those difficult moments along the way. I'm Giles Paley-Phillips, and with me in his rainbow cloud room is Jim Daly. Better than the den of iniquity. That's true. There's a one-up. It's one from that. Had an upgrade. <laughs> yeah. I'm, um, I'm quite hay fevery today. Do you get hay fever? Do you know what? I've had it some years, and then not others so i don't know if there's a certain type of pollen because i know there's certain pollens that can affect you in other ways i think mine might be more of a grass issue and i'm not yeah, talking about mine... marijuana <laughs> mine's a tree pollen i think tree um because i had it last week um when it was snowing <laughs> which just doesn't make sense so how, it can't how be frustrating a... that must be I was like, yeah, I'm feeling really hay free. My wife's like, it's literally snowing outside. What are you talking about? I was like, my throat's gone scratchy. So I don't know, but I'm feeling it again now, but it's the sun's come out. So you've had a bit, maybe you've been a bit under the weather recently, haven't you, Jim? Yeah. I've got two small children. I'm just constantly under the weather. Yeah. And not sleeping. So yeah. That's the thing that kills you the sleep deprivation. Yeah, it does. And that's how you get ill. So yeah. But it's hard. You, I can't say to you, you need to rest up. Because you've got two small children. <laughs> no. So um, actually, it's, it's, we'll get, we'll it's almost like I'm It'll taking the right. piss by saying that. <laughs> It'll be okay. But, yeah, it's just a bit... Yes. We're all a bit tired here. Um, which is what I said to our guest today before we started recording. Because I was slightly worried I was going to... Not have a really good performance. As it turns out, wasn't a great performance for me, actually, either. You, no, you, you really carried the team today. No, you, you were really good up until about 70 minutes, and then we had to sub you off. <laughs> I just lost my head. Yeah. Didn't I? Yeah, yeah, your head went down. You could tell, like, yeah, you were you were coming back from injury. <laughs> yeah. And you couldn't last the full... wasn't match fit. You couldn't last the full 90. That's the problem. Yeah. Lots of sports allergies here, um, because we've got someone who is heavily involved in sport, and, um, you know, quite, quite a different side of the game, like all the games. Um, it's the amazing Zoe Smale, who works as a inclusion and diversity consultant. And it's a really fascinating area, obviously trying to help uh, various different sports to, you know, look at how they do things and, you know, include have inclusion and diversity at the forefront of, you know, what they're doing going forwards. Yeah, I mean, incredibly important. And I mean, Zoe's just so passionate about what she does. You can tell that from the first few minutes of talking to her. It's, it's just absolutely really refreshing and just really lovely. And actually, I learned a lot in this episode. Um, I can I can tell that when she's doing her sessions, she's she's really approachable. So I can I can I learned a lot within what a one hour podcast. Mm. But I felt comfortable enough i never even met so before over zoom to be a bit vulnerable with her 
and ask yeah. her questions about situation I've been in, which mm. comes up later on the pod. So I can only imagine, you know, all the people she's working with must feel similarly comfortable. So, yeah, you know, she's doing incredible work, really passionate about it. Um, and it was just, you know, another different episode for us. Yeah. You know, slightly different from what we normally have. But I think this is one that a lot of listeners are going to really learn a lot from. Yeah, it's a really interesting area. And obviously we talk a lot about sports and grassroots sports and championing, championing like people who work at those levels as well and coaching and all those different things, as well as obviously talking about these these sort of changes that need to be made to the cult, you know, not just the culture of sport, but in society, our culture in general, you know, and obviously that comes up in what you were talking about Um that story, that anecdote you tell. Um, but Zoe's just such a brilliant person. I've known her for quite a while now. Um, I'm always like super inspired by her and what she does. Um, she's super lovely and hell, what a smart individual she is really, really clued in and smart and, and bright and energetic and all the things you could hope, um, from someone who's doing that role. Yeah. I'm very inspired. I think inspiring is the word. Absolutely. Mm. And it's just a real joy to talk to as well. Um, and has a good favourite sandwich. Yeah, which we can talk about after. I was going to leave that for the patrons, but actually I feel like that's 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 the sort of chat I think everyone needs to hear. Yeah, I think it's, it's quite a divisive conversation. <laughs> it's not. I'd say it's a very inclusive conversation. Um, and everyone needs to have more peanut butter in their sandwiches, basically. That's just wrong. Um, <clears throat> well... <laughs> Well, I guess we should probably just dive in, Jim. Please do. Enough of this. Yeah, I am sorry. I am. I. I am functioning at forty percent uh, this this week. So I. I, I apologise. It's better than not And in the that's <laughs> true. That's true. And actually, to be fair, I, I would say that my trajectory went like this, Charles. And that's not very good for for audio. But I started off low. But talking to Zoe and how energised she is actually made me a bit more energised yeah. as well. So I think I actually ended the pod more energized than i was yeah, at the start no, but i'm no. now feeling quite low again it's <laughs> not just, you I'm... Say, now now it's just you and i you've you've let yourself go <laughs> i just, i can hear myself talking i can see myself on the screen and I'm like yeah you're just low energy gym today but it's fine yeah. but you know just 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 i don't know are you having an a, just... are you having an out of body experience are you watching Possibly. are you watching yourself from the corner of the room and thinking jim's having a mess possibly i've had a weird day i've had a weird day anyway lots of stuff has yeah. gone wrong today so it's just been this has actually been the first thing that's gone right actually today well, so, so far uh, it's been nice it's brought today back on, back on track not this intro i mean the, the chat was sorry the intro's gone as bad as everything else today but no the, the, the chat was sorry i think we just need to stop talking to sorry i'm just gonna yeah <laughs> if i yawn well, on it's this week's pod we have I've the amazing and not because Zoe's i'm finding the conversation boring just want to just want to put that yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's that, you, you just do you, Jim. You just do you. Thank yeah, you for yeah, turning yeah. up for the occasion. Yeah, yeah, I feel very honoured. Thanks for coming, Jim. <laughs> I'll try. I, 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 yeah, I'll try. I'm, always I, a... I'm already envisaging I'm going to put in about a five out of ten performance today for me. That's, okay. That's, just that's fine. That's yeah. fine. Um, I'll have to make it. I'll have to be a ten out of ten then, won't I? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, yeah, carry, no pressure. Yourself. No pressure, Charles. You do the whole. Yeah, I'll be carrying. I'm carrying the squad. Um <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I'm going to think. Like, can we come up with a sports analogy for this? Um, now, I think take him on for the team is what I was thinking. Uh, yeah, take him on for the team. I'm taking him on for the team. Yeah, yeah. If we were, if Giles, if this was te- tennis doubles, if this was doubles, yeah, then 
You're Andy Murray and I'm Jamie Murray. That's really unfair on Jamie, isn't oh, it? That's yeah, but Jamie's enough. better at doubles than Andy. So that is That's a bit true. Hard. Maybe he carries Andy in the yeah. doubles. That's... Controversial. We've gone straight in with the controversial. I know, I know. So uh, where do you stand on tennis? <laughs> I'm the one quite like having the pims and sat on the sideline. Yeah. To be fair, tennis is not one of my um, sports that I've really invested into, although I probably should given the job that I do, but I don't know. I, I just, I like to be on the spectator line. I don't get, I don't like to get involved with the controversialness of that, to be fair, Giles. No, it's that, that is a good answer. Yeah, it is, yeah. Well, I was going to start the podcast by asking you about sport, obviously, because, you know, yeah. you, you, you tend to do a bit of stuff in that area. <laughs> but Just a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit here and there. But has sport always been a big part of your life? I mean, I, I've been doing things around authenticity and, and working out who, you know, where I stand as a person and what lifts, you know, lights me up and what warms my heart and all those kind of things. And sport is definitely like huge for me and do and actually participating in sport. So like, I can't, I don't do so much kind of um, competitive sport anymore, but just getting on an exercise bike, going for a walk, running, you know, all those kind of things are things that I need to do on a pretty much a daily basis. Otherwise I'm quite frankly, I look and sound a bit like Jim does today. <laughs> can't even argue that. <laughs> He's got their comeback. That was it. It was just, just, just took that one. Yeah. So I guess like the, my entry into sport was quite a unique um, sort of entry into it. So I actually got involved in sport when I was a kid and the rationale was, you know, Zoe needs to learn how to fail at something. I was quite academic at school. I don't know what happened as I grew older, but for me, like my teachers wanted me to kind of have that real well-rounded development, that holistic development. And I needed to learn how to fail. So they had a bit of a conversation with my parents and said, look, have you thought about getting involved in sport? Um, you know, she's doing really, really well at school, but actually we know that, you know, we don't want to build her up too much that she's big headed. Right. So get involved in sport. So I got myself involved in sport from that perspective. And actually I worked through grassroots to high performance. I was able to represent my country as a junior athlete, which is fantastic. But do you know what? For me, and th- speaking on that values piece, was I was more interested in how to develop people into like how all the nuances and the granular details kind of came together to be able to develop someone to be able to go off and participate in whatever pathway they choose or chose to to move in. So again, a bit of a backstory around sport. I actually uh, went to university to become a doctor. That was kind of my bread and butter for my family. And I was kind of almost conditioned to say, like, you're going to kind of carry I've ended up where I am now working in sport was I kind of said, you know what? This does not align to my values working in medicine. Mm. I really fell in love with sport when it didn't love me back. So, again, back in the day, it was kind of I never saw anyone that looked like me, but I'm very stubborn. So I was like, if I can't see it, I really want to be it. So I've got to round the houses. I think got every qualification I wear my qualifications on my sleeve like a CV I really wanted to understand and find my value find my peace um in sport because I left a lot of myself um and my family's kind of traditions in order to create the life that I want and and love now that's amazing I mean there's so much there to 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 unpick (laughs) Um, I had to strip it back. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, I'll yeah. give you the, the yeah, yeah. overview version. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, obviously, let's start. Let's start with the failure thing because that's interesting. That mm. 
you know, it was considered like that you throw you in at this thing because you're academic. You can't possibly be sporty as well. And clearly, obviously, you know, that was maybe something that kind of maybe you you picked up on and thought, okay, well, I'm actually going to, like, there's something to prove here. Um, but it's interesting, that idea about failure. And obviously, sport is full of failure, regardless of whether you're the best. Uh, I mean, obviously, Jim and I support Crystal Palace. We're used to abundance of failure. Um, especially today. <laughs> yeah, especially today, <laughs> on the day that our manager has been sacked. But, but it's interesting, that, that the alignment between sport and failure and what... Um, Spaler can Spaler, sorry, what sport can give you um, with regards to life skills? Absolutely. I think I owe a lot of myself, my values, who I connect with, how I view myself because of sport. And if we strip that back a little bit more about some of the granular detail and some of the richness that it really feels forgotten in the landscape of sport, and that's grassroots and volunteering. And the, a lot of the life skills that I learned were from volunteers. And I think, you know, it's great to win medals. It's great to kind of be winning and achieving. But actually, there's so much more impact that can be found and so much value that's brought with that social um, connection piece around just peer-to-peer or having someone there. Like, you know, sport for me was always that out where I felt like I was seen and I know that it gets a lot of bad reps sometimes but you know volunteering is the backbone of sport and physical activity people do it because they generally want to do that they generally want to be there and actually I learned so much and actually as I then developed through the pathway system I was spending more and more time with people other than my parents so Mm. again it was like I learned a lot of that realness I guess about myself just from the people that are in the sport that's why I think it really um, almost sparked a bit of an interest in me to say, right, well, how can I almost embody that? How can I give back to the next generation? How can I make sure that, you know, I'm protecting something that I really, truly value? And that is the power that sport can bring. Because, you know, you you take any sport, you take football, for example, it is that unique language that people speak. It doesn't matter kind of what language you speak, you know, from uh, BSL mm. to, you know, um, English, whatever that kind of looks like for you. Sport has got that universal language that it doesn't matter kind of where you come from, you get together and you play. Um, mm. So, or spectate, you know, so it kind of brings people together. And I really loved that togetherness because I feel like on the flip side of that, I didn't have that. So it's kind of like supplementing, kind of taking from one area to, to sort of almost fill another area. Um, so yeah, that's kind of it for me, really. Yeah, fo- football. Football is like a global language, isn't it? I think football and emojis. They, I think, they are the two. <laughs> well, the two true global languages. I go further and say it allows you to talk to taxi drivers without getting into politics, which is always useful. Um, Very true. But yeah, but I think sport in general is is you know it's a it's a conversation starter. You know, if if you can find someone who's like minded with regards to whatever sport it is, um, yeah, you you can talk for hours and hours about about sport and the nuances of the of the game or, or whatever it might be. But <clears throat> I was going to say back going back to football. I mean, for you, Jim, obviously you're a season ticket holder. That community of supporters that you go to matches with on a regular basis, for some people, that is maybe the only time they get to speak to other people. Yeah, completely. And I mean, and there's less so me because I sit with my dad now and his oldest friend who's been going to Palace with him since the 60s, uh, which is really sweet. But I know people that sit in areas of Sellers Park and they've made mates that they don't know the names of still after 20 years. It's just, you know, bloke in the jacket and bloke in the hat and they see them once a fortnight and it is, yeah, it's like a little community. And I think that's, I think that's 
I think sport gets a bad rep a lot of the times, but I think football in particular does because there are it's rough around the edges still with a lot a lot of its areas. It's quite backwards. It's not particularly progressive when it comes to uh, LGBTQ plus community racism. There's a, there's a lot of areas that it, it really does struggle with, um, and and it and it deserves criticism for those areas completely. Um, but it does do a lot of good. I've, some of my some of my lifelong friends I've met through. Crystal Palace. I think mainly because I feel like we've like shared trauma, and I think that's <laughs> that is a shared trauma together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Girls, you love cooking, don't you? You're a big fan of cooking at home. I love cooking, and I love cooking from scratch. Well, do you know what? I love it too. Unfortunately, I'm not very good at it, which is why I use. Gusto. Have you heard of Gusto? Do you use them? I love Gusto. What a brilliant thing. You get all the... That was good. Just go from I love Gusto. Yeah, I love Gusto, Jim. Honestly, it's so good because you get all these recipes, you get all the ingredients you need, and you can choose. i tell you what, this is the greatest thing. You can choose from over 250 recipes every month. It is good. Yeah, I mean, there's so much choice. I've been using Gusto... Pretty much since the start of lockdown. And it's made me the most average of home chefs, basically, turn me into Gordon Ramsay. Because everything's there for you. You get all the ingredients. You get with the right measurements. You get really clear, easy-to-follow instructions. And before you know it, you're like the king of the kitchen. And there's various... um, time lengths like some of them are the average is about 25 minutes to make but some of them are a bit longer 45 minutes some of the really quick 10 minute ones if you're like you know want to make a quick lunch and then head out the door or a quick dinner because the kids are being a pain which does happen a lot in this household gusto is so easy to use um and i i really enjoy it's made me enjoy cooking again and gusto gives you everything you need to create incredible home home Gusto gives you everything you need to create incredible home-cooked meals, including perfectly portioned fish. Fresh. Gusto gives you everything you need to create incredible home-cooked meals, including perfectly portioned fresh ingredients. And they are always fresh, which is lovely. And as I said, easy to follow recipe cards. Uh, And with Gusto, you can choose, as you said, Giles, from 250 recipes a month, uh, including vegan, vegetarian which we are at home as well and the veggie options are absolutely lovely they come delivered straight to your door any day of the week and you can basically start enjoying quality dishes today so yeah custo makes planning meals that much easier it does you can get the pre-portioned ingredients which means crucially zero food waste which can be an issue if you buy stuff from the supermarkets and take it home and as we've said easy to follow recipe cards the ingredients are always fresh High quality, so you know that what you're putting in your mouth is good quality. So you can sign up now for 60% off your first box. That's right. Gusto are giving blank listeners 60% off their first box and 25% off all boxes for two months. What a deal that is. All you've got to do is head to gusto.co.uk, gusto.co.uk, G-O-U-S-T-O.co.uk. Use the code blank to get that offer of 60% off your first box and 25% off all boxes for two months. Giles, what a deal. It's an amazing deal. Head there now. That's gusto.co.uk and use the code blank.
but uh yeah it's yeah i mean i I got into football because of my dad and and it's it's actually brought me closer to him as i got older as well so there's a lot to be said for it but i was thinking as you were talking there about the volunteer i think the volunteer angle was really interesting because i always think there's a juxtaposition between doing something for love and then it becomes either your job or your focus or your main and sometimes that love of the game can dissipate a bit can't it did you find that as you were sort of rising up that did that did that change in the way that you felt towards sport can you ever keep the love if you get to that kind of level of high excellence yeah I think it's a really interesting uh, question actually Jim and one that I reflect on quite a lot because I spent a lot of time coaching and again back in the day I say back in the day we're talking like 15 years like I've been involved in sport for about 20 years now and when I was coaching and kind of going through the motions going from that grassroots working in the performance um, space kind of looking at two Olympic cycles I was really fortunate to have that um, role as a full-time position whereas before it would be like you know after work or if I was um, at uni it was like something else I did to make money and stuff so it was never really a full-time investment but the higher you go up the further removed you are for having the love of the sport. You have to be so mentally resilient because the higher you go up, the more weight is kind of placed on you to deliver. And I think that's the same from an athlete perspective and the same from a coaching and support network perspective as well. And kind of you're only ever as good as the medals you bring home in that space. Really, when we think about it, we're really great to big people up but as soon as they're not winning it can turn really nasty and then you internalize things and actually where's the support network for that so yeah I think you what you said about can you fall out of love with it absolutely that's why I kind of then transitioned from coaching to officiating I then worked for a few active partnerships and national governing bodies because I wanted to still have that love of coaching and I still coach now but actually it's a supplementary I do this at the weekends because I love it I love seeing the kids turn up I love being able to give back to them something that I really valued in giving them a space to feel seen because not everyone is going to be academic not everyone is really your atypical sporty but there is such a community that you can build around sport you don't have to be kind of winning all the time or being the best sometimes you can just rock up and just try and smile and you know just have like connect to people I do think that we still live in the realms of to play and participate in sport you have to be really good at it you can't just kind of go half-hearted into something we we put that pressure on ourselves I think to to keep winning and actually there's so much more that you can benefit from that yeah, completely, completely agree. And I actually struggle with that with 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 football in particular, but actually every area of my life, creativity. I, um, there's, a, I think, rock up and try is a really lovely way of, of phrasing. Actually, there's a beauty in rocking up and trying, and actually trying to be the best all the time. Someone's got to be the best, obviously, and someone is. But there'll like, always be someone better. But yeah. always be someone better. Oh, sure. Completely, and it's a pressure. I, I, I um, even at th- I'm 38 now. And I still struggle if I go and play five aside and I play badly, I get really annoyed. And that, it doesn't doesn't matter. Doesn't mean any, no one. No, no, no scouts watching. Doesn't matter. <laughs> we never know. No one cares. And yet I still get really annoyed because when I was in my teens, my twenties, I was you know I was really quite good. And I just why can't I let that go? You know what I mean? Just play for love because when I when I am playing well, I lo- I love playing football so much and it is genuinely freeing. Uh, but why can't I let that, if I have a bad game, why can't I just like ease into it and be like, okay, 
I'm having a bad game, whatever. Enjoy it. Why do I have to beat myself up? I mean, there's definitely, I mean, sorry, this is turning to therapy, but like there is. <laughs> yeah, come on, sorry. Why, why, so why does Jim, yeah, why, why, why does Jim beat himself up when he has a bad game? <laughs> oh, brilliant. Say your chest, Jim, go on. The, offload, it's fine. It's like therapy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If it is, it, the, 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 I mean, you know, a lot of sport is psychological. In fact, sport probably is more psychological than it is physical. And, and you know, you'll obviously know that really well. But I, I do, you know, why, why do we get sometimes able to not able to switch our brains off? I think it's the culture. Yeah. And I think it's the culture, you know, like when you think about the narrative of sport, you you naturally go to like the Olympics or Commonwealth Games or Premier League final or final, like grand slam. Like you naturally go to like the most extreme version of sport. Like if someone says to me, think of sport, because I've been in it for so long, I still typically tend to think of like your high performance sports, but actually 80% of sport and physical activity is your grassroots stuff. But Mm. I was similar to you, Jim, to be fair, because I'm not a very good run a long distance but if I'm thinking of I want to go for a run I'm instantly going I have to go for a 5k and I have to run it or I need to do a half marathon like I can't like I could just run up and down like the road right but no I have to go to the extreme versions and like brag and be like you know what my Garmin I've done all this like (laughs) but it's like that almost like gratification to say like if you if you're participating in sport then it, it has to be to like a high caliber you have to be like you know really advanced in what you're doing like I still feel like the culture of maybe it's the culture of sport it's still got quite a bad rep in saying that we need to do more, I think, to protect the grassroots and give people confidence to say, you know what, you can have a really bad day, you can have a really bad game, but actually there are bigger problems in the world. Like, you know, just switch, use it as a as a switch off mechanism. But I think, yeah, I could talk about it for hours. To be fair, well, well that's what we got you on. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's so true. It's so true because um, if you've done a marathon, the first thing that someone will ask you is how quick you did it in. The first, it's yeah. literally the first question you say, oh, I did the marathon or whatever, you know, and they're like, oh, what time did you do it in? Not the fact that you've actually run 26.2 miles, yeah. Yeah. which is as, as someone who has done a marathon, I'm a marathon runner. People always bring it up in conversation, um, as we know, <laughs> uh, but it, it's really fucking hard to do a marathon. Like it's a really hard event to just do it. And, um, regardless of whether you do it in two hours um, whatever world record time, or you do it, take five, six, seven, eight, nine hours to do it. The fact that you've completed the thing should be the, you know, but, but like you say, it's so ingrained in us to sort of question how fast you did it and how, you know, how much effort it took you or whatever it might be, because yeah, we're just so, I guess it's just the competitiveness that we, 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 we want to drag out of people. Absolutely. But it makes good conversation, right? I think yeah. at the end of the day, I think like mm-hmm. when we do think about sport and I'll say this with chess, I think that there is more passion in a football stadium or in any stadium than that wedding. And I will say that until the day I die, that there is more passion there behind it. And if I go back a couple of steps, I really love hearing people's entry into sport or like their that anchor that really makes them invest in sport. I think that's such a beautiful story to tell. And when we're thinking of, um, you know, thinking of sport, I always try and think, well, if I'm meeting you in a sports environment or if I'm connecting with you at a networking event and it's around sport, tell me what it is that kind of, you know, made you invest in your favorite sports team or what is it about sport that kind of brings you to life? Because that's a really nice narrative to hear from people. And they're often shocked when you hear that or when you ask that question, because 
as you said, Giles, when you ask people about kind of sport and stuff, it naturally kind of go to, well, I participate and do this. Mm. And then you get that questions of, well, well, how fast did you do it? Mm. Or, you know, what's next for you? And you're like, literally, I've just done one. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do mm. another one. Like, you know. I would never do another next? one. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Though. It's so true. Um, so with regards to your, your, your actual job, how does that work? What does that look like? Because you're an inclusion and diversity consultant. So how does, yeah, just sort of take us through a little bit about what that means. Absolutely. So I've been doing inclusion and diversity long before it's given a fancy title. I was really hyper aware of who wasn't around me because I never really found myself in anyone or had anyone to look up to. And I thought, why is that? Like, why is there not anyone else that kind of looks like me or even different, to be fair, if I'm being totally honest? Like, why is everyone kind of the same? Um, even from like an age perspective or gender perspective or disability, like there was so much that I was like, there's so much missing here and there's so much richness. Again, I come from a really diverse family and have really diverse friends. So I was like, this feels really alien to me being in this setting. Whereas I think for others, it's kind of, it feels safe and it's the norm. So EDI activism was entered quite early on and but I just again was never really listened to or given an opportunity to say you know if we open the doors a little bit wider if we kind of have this table and invite people to bring their own seats and menus to the table then we everyone can kind of benefit from sport so I worked in development uh, for a national governing body around that and then I really began to see actually do you know what I, I don't want to work for a national governing body anymore I want to have more of an overarching impact from the sport and physical activity sector so my role now is um, I'm still very privileged and very lucky to be doing a job that I love so much um, and I work get to work with professional football clubs I get to work with active partnerships I get to work with um, local authorities um, I get to work with so many people that kind of sit around the narrative of sport and physical activity and basically what I um, do with them is look at okay how can they use inclusion as a business objective rather than a problem to be fixed because I still think again when we think of inclusion and diversity it's a HR problem or it's discrimination or it's something not the other way around so how can we really capitalize in the nice as possible way this opportunity to welcome more people to whether it's your sport your organization whatever that kind of looks like how can we make sure more people are wanting to invest in sport because it's kind of a dying art if I'm being really honest because more people have got less disposable income now to really sort of pay even things like gym fees or membership fees or even just the basic equipment to be able to do something right so actually what are the mechanisms that we can do to really use this as an opportunity to make sure that more people are being reached like, I don't think people are hard to reach. I think they're hardly reached. So being proactive in that space rather than saying, you know, we're inclusive for everybody and waiting for people to come to, to you. Because again, it's, it's a competitive market sport now. Like people are trying to use it as business opportunity. So use inclusion and that value of belonging as your anchor to get more people involved, whether that's participation or helping out or volunteering or leadership roles or advocacy, fundraising, you know, whatever that kind of might look like. So yeah, my role is very, very varied. Um, I'm also commissioned by Sport England to deliver or help them um, deliver on their 10-year tackling inequality strategy. And that is kind of working with active partnerships and national governing bodies around creating sustainable practice. So actually, are we looking at things holistically? Are there some barriers that actually we could just eradicate are we providing equity to people that might need it because not everyone starts on the same starting line so I have got some big projects that I'm kind of delivering on for various organizations some of it I can't share now because it's still in the pipeline and we're delivering on it and they haven't done a press release but I get to see it all and I really value that 
I mean, you can, I can, I can hear in the way you're talking about how passionate you talk about it, and it's lovely to hear someone so passionate about the role they do that's also sort of making a change. It's funny, actually. You know, we we're talking about this today. Palace have sacked Patrick Vieira today as as manager. Uh, he was Palace's first black manager. He was the only black manager in the Premier League. There are not enough managers from diverse backgrounds at top, top, top level football. And you know, I think representation is so important and i and we've had troy townsend on the podcast before and he works for kick it out fantastic mm-hmm. guy and doing a lot of really great work as well and i know he bangs his head, his head against a brick wall in terms of the representation of black coaches black managers in not just the premier league football league well you could say league, in officials as well jim like there's and officials yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. so you you know you you, you the world, the society and world we come from is way more diverse and rich than what we see in top level sport on TV. And I don't really know where I'm going with this, but to be honest, <laughs> apart from just that I can see that it is a problem, basically. Yeah, and that's a large part of my role as well, is to get that understanding that representation does really matter, but also things like diversity of thought again, really matters as well, because if you look at our current political party, they are very diverse in their optics, right? But they kind of, everyone's thinking the same, so no one's really thinking. And I I truly stand by that actually the right person kind of needs to be actively in a position. But have we done all the holistic stuff on the outside to make sure that things like professionalism is not deep-rooted in racism, that actually accent bias, actually gender bias, the, the typical type of person that we would put in a position, are we copy and pasting job descriptions? Do we have a skills gap analysis on kind of where the best person needs to sit? And then we can begin to unpick some of the nuances around, well, is there going to be a qualification disparity? Because we know that actually societally, there are lots of other things that people have to go through from different um, demographics that Mm. means that it's a lot harder. So do you need to have a degree for a role that doesn't require a degree? Like, why are you asking for it? What are your non-negotiables? You know, how can we begin to really review that holistic practice? Because it's really easy to say we need representation, but how are we going to make that sustainable? And that's a large part of my job is actually creating that sustainability. How can we make sure that the people that come into these positions are supported as themselves and not try to be, you know, molded into being the same and have that group think blend as well? Because it's really hard. I know from my perspective, and I can only speak on my perspective, that when I am invited to the table, people kind of almost rent what I have to say. They almost harvest what I have to say, mm. but I'm never the person to be put in charge. So you want to hear what I have to say and use what I have to say, but you'll never put me in, in a leadership position. Why is that? What is it about your discomfort that means that actually, you know, you won't put me in a leadership position? Is that your discomfort? And then you can kind of work back yeah. from that, really. So I think representation is really important for having that. It can be done. It's achievable. There are some stubborn people like me that say, if you can't see it, be it. But um, it does serve its purpose. And that's a large part of my my role is, is to try and create a narrative of yes we we can have representation but we want to make it sustainable we also yeah. want to make sure that it's equitable and it's fair that we're not just having a tick box because that doesn't help anybody that actually has the opposite effect especially for that person going into that role they really begin to suffer imposter yeah. syndrome if they've just been thrown in because it looks good yeah. on paper right so yeah i mean I, I, again please please ask me questions on this it's just <laughs> yeah i have to restrain myself from going a bit overboard no, it's really interesting, and I'm wondering as you were talking there, is it is it is it like a subconscious racism sometimes that you talk about that, that uncomfortableness that people will feel around the table? 
They even think... people sometimes feel like I'm trying to be do the right thing, but even on some level, there's a prejudice there. Yeah, I think if we really strip it back and ask the why, I always strip it back and ask the why because I appreciate that actually there's a lot of discomfort around this. It's like me saying to you both, the way that you've made your favourite sandwich is wrong. You'd be like, uh, hang on a minute. Like, absolutely <laughs> To be not. honest, I get told that. I get told that a lot in my own house. It's a controversial it. subject. Okay, okay, okay. We're going to go on a tangent of like what like everyone's favourite sandwich is now. Square or triangle. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh. but... Triangle always tastes better. <laughs> triangle. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> um so in that essence i get that there's an element of fear there so it's understanding that why and even in my generation in my lifetime you know i grew up on biff chip and kipper books which had really negative depiction for south asian communities mm, yeah. you know there are so many different things that we were exposed to as children and that's not to downplay some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes but it is i think um for us to be aware that there were certain normal things back in the day that were okay but society is really dynamic it's constantly evolving and unless we are 100% invested in trying to really learn about society where we have inherited things from you know what riches the narratives that we get taught as children in our in our formative years the conversations and the people that we surround ourselves with if we're constantly kind of um, involving ourselves in really close circles it's really hard to kind of see and identify our blind spots and that's the problem there is I think people have a lot of blind spots and then it turns that nervousness because I know that whenever I go into a room full of people that are quite early in their inclusion journey and they don't really understand it the first thing that they feel is excluded and that's really Mm. counterproductive and it's like well why do you feel excluded because it's not on a deficit model it's about how we can open things up for more people but again that's that narrative that the media creates from us as saying oh it's the woke police you know having lego showing you know disability um, figures is woke now not because actually it's really important for representation so i think the media has got a lot to play in how they position themselves and i think sport especially is kind of almost open to you know speculation they love a good story around you know all this discrimination here and that for to sell magazines but it's really unhelpful in my role because it just gets people scared and then they're scared to talk and then that makes it really hard because i'm like you've got to talk to me i promise i'm desensitized you know have a conversation with me use me as your personal google so yeah it's a it's an interesting realm it's really interesting about the media stuff because I was going to ask yeah. you about that a little bit because we have got obviously got quite a right wing media and um, this idea around wokeism and you know obviously on the back of that is also cancel culture but the wokeism thing is interesting because it does seem to be banded around a lot and I wondered I was going to ask you if that was something that you did come up against quite a lot in your in your work always. Always, I'm always branded as being the woke police. And I think with that cancel culture, I call it consequence culture because yeah. I'm not trying to cancel you. I'm saying that you, you're yeah, being held yeah, to account. Absolutely. And absolutely. actually, I think for me personally, if you're going to be a leader, you have to be able to protect yourself. You have to be educating on society. You can't be saying stupid stuff. You should be investing in people like me. This is not a sell. And people like me to give you that guidance to say, you know, let people self-identify, understand the narrative behind why you're doing this and getting people to have that voice of reason and that filter we, we don't live in that world. It's very much a whipped up, sensationalised. And I think there was a really interesting stat around trans inclusion in sport and the narrative behind negativity around trans inclusion. And there was some whopping great statistics say that actually 10 years ago it wasn't really a thing. And now it's gone up like an exponential um 
amount. I'm not going to try and even guess how much, but it's like 500 plus around this narrative and it, it sells stories, right? And at the end of the day, and I think it's a really dangerous narrative when we then start to look at things like guidances and policies and how people, you know, say that they're going to trans exclude for certain things. And that it just gets really, really messy in that. So I think, yeah, the media doesn't help me in any way, shape or form. If anything, I spend a lot of my time almost re-educating to say, this is not the only story. If we're only hearing what people want us to hear, we're never going to get past that. We're never going to kind of get into that learning stage. So take what it is, what it is, but also go the other side, like hear the other narrative and surround yourself with different people, have conversations because that's how you're really going to begin to be able to come up with your own idea as to what, you know, wokeism is or isn't. Mm. Well, uh, my understanding of being woke is just being more inclusive. And I I don't understand how is that a bad thing? I I don't, that's, it has become a bet noir, isn't it? It's it's become a phrase that that people, I guess, through fear of things that are different to them, Oh, but it's been weaponized as well by, yeah, by the right wing media. Well, also, I'd to... say sort of gammon aged white men who, um, you know, like I'm not going to name names, but you know, uh, on the various news outlets, um, are using it like you know, because it's easy to bandy around and it, you know, it's a way of saying, oh, it's not like the good old days. Um, but yeah, it's it's ridiculous, really, because like you say, Jim, I, I perceive wokeism as being like you know I, you know I'm, I'm I'm I'd be pleased to be woke if I get like, called like woke, I'd wear, it, wear it as a fucking badge yeah 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 woke and fucking woke and proud as well <laughs> yeah. fucking swear words there sorry yeah, yeah. I'm, t- it I'm tired adds, it adds it to does. it it adds value like I feel yeah, yeah, like yeah. you can't mess with that like you were there you're unapologetically woke yeah but I think for me again I'll get consequence culture probably from saying this, but the only the only people that wokeism really affects is the mediocre because then they're like, actually, I can't rely on my privileges anymore. I have to really make sure that I am so educated. I wear my qualifications on my sleeve, just like the underrepresented have to do constantly. Yeah. Like if I had a pound for every time I went to a coach's qualification, like training session and someone asked if I was the cleaner or where the toilets were. And I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm here as part of the course. Like, there's lots of different things that kind of happen around that again but when I was a lot younger I didn't understand the context of it or why people were saying it I was blissfully unaware I was so driven by carving out and creating a bigger picture for myself that I didn't really understand it it's only until I then started to deliver on things like microaggressions things like discrimination that I was like you know what I have a lot of stories to tell But again, I don't want to feed into the negative narrative around kind of what happens in society trickles into sport. We can't think that whatever happens in society and what people are exposed to and their general kind of selfishness rather than service curiosity to understand, you know, where am I really from? You know, that that current bigger picture. Like, it just never really resonated until I was a lot older and it's damaging it's really damaging to the sport and something that I love so much so I'm just like I'm not focusing on that I'm happy to share stories to add weight to if that helps your understanding if I'm delivering but my focus is how how we can build back better how that sounds like a politician then you might want to revoke that wow (laughs) going you weren't weren't doing the thumb pointing (laughs) that's all right I maybe did like like the head wiggle thing but um yeah, I just, I just think there's so much opportunity. And I, I, if I can make sure that one person don't, doesn't go through the same thing that I had to go through, then my time on this earth is like done. You know, I'm, I'm happy. I go to bed 
with my woke blanket, knowing that, you know, the world's a little bit of a better place. What is a woke blanket? Uh, I don't know. I like it though, I like it. I mean, as you can tell, I love rainbows, so anyway. Love that, love that. My daughter's room, by the way. I mean, it could be my room, to be fair, but um, (laughs) I I witnessed a microaggression a few months back. I was filming a TV show and working with, uh, I won't name him, but one of my colleagues was a black guy with dreadlocks, um, gorgeous guy gorgeous smile and i really enjoyed working with him and the producers we worked here the three of us got really bonded over six weeks and we were filming at a football ground and someone walked past a fan and we were trying to get doing vox pops and trying to get people to chat and stuff and i hate doing that so much so it's it's horrible and someone pointed at my mate and went oh i didn't know linvoy primus was playing and linvoy primus is a former footballer black footballer with dreaded played for portsmouth and stuff and i was like oh fuck i've just witnessed a Microaggression. And I sort of said to our my mate, I got a bit of casual racism there. And he went, he sort of went, Yeah, happens all the time. Mm. And it was just weird to be because obviously I don't I don't really get I don't get I'm a white middle class guy. I don't get I don't get that. So it was really eye-opening to witness that in in action in the wild. And you what you're saying about in, inclusion was interesting because I think that is the Oh, no, sorry, exclusion. That is the line that I think of a lot of people who oppose wokeism say, oh, you're trying to exclude me. Like with, 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 with the war on trans people at the moment. Oh, trans people are trying to exclude me from places. No, they're just trying to exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to live with the same life that you've had the privilege of for however many years. And I mean, I guess that is the battle you're, you're fighting daily. But if you can get past that and get people to realise that no one's being excluded. In fact, we're trying to include everyone. Uh, and people from the right will realise they have a lot more similarity with the people Absolutely. that they're against. Absolutely. Like, I think there's lots to unpick there. I always kind of, again, whenever I'm doing sort of faith inclusion, link the narrative of sport is basically a faith or a religion. Like, some people see that and there's a lot of similarities there. You have a uniform, you have your different rituals, you know, that you do. Yeah. Like, there's so much similarity. But again, people don't necessarily want to see that. Again, interesting about microaggressions. Like a lot of the work that I do is about getting people to want to understand what microaggressions are, how they play out. Like I always make a conscious effort to get a receipt if ever I'm wearing sports clothes after I paid for something at a self-checkout because I don't want the embarrassment of someone saying, have you paid for that? Because it's been done too many times. Yeah. And again, like for people that see me when I'm out and about, I always wear really identifiable outfits so I don't get mistaken identity. And that's something that I have to overtly do to protect myself from embarrassment, shame and just an inconvenience when all I'm trying to do is go and get a coffee, you know? But actually, I think what you said, Jim, is really interesting around kind of what people can do when they witness that on behalf of another person. It doesn't have to be confrontational in a sense of you stand there with a sign saying this is not okay. How can we get into that culture of saying, you know what, like, I'm going to like, let me educate you on why this is not okay. You know, how can we do it in a, let's say, palatable way? Or what can we do as allies, as, as like an active bystander to say, I hear what you said, however, it's not okay. And be that protector. Like when we hear of allyship, again, we kind of think of someone with a sign saying this is not okay. But actually sometimes it's stepping in when when realising that something like that has happened and the person on the receiving end is so desensitised to kind of what that is, but it doesn't make it any less painful. And that's the thing. You still go through that same oh, just being outed again, just being othered again. Like, you know, even that narrative of when people say to me, so tell me where you're from. And I'm like, I'm literally from Devon. And they're like, where are you really from? And I'm like, 
if you're asking me about my heritage, I'm like third generation, like Windrush generation and South Asian. But that like, that goes back. Like I was born in British, my family, my grandparents are British, right? So it's a, it's that narrative. You always feel like, well, why don't you see me as being British? Like what, what is British now? You know, it's dynamic, it's evolving. So I think people's parts to play. And I do this and I try and advocate for this because um, I have no lived experience in LGBT or trans inclusion, but I really try to understand what I can do to kind of almost be sometimes that barrier for people that experience microaggression similar to myself so that they don't have to feel like they're alone. They feel like they're seen and actually it's an educational time. Like, you know, your activism can enter chat in different ways and people feel very comfortable doing things very differently. I like to call people in and say, look, probably isn't the best way to think. Have you thought about what you said? You know, rather than saying that's absolutely disrespectful because then you just, you know, don't get anywhere. But having that why piece and questioning people, why have you said something? If they've said something quite derogatory is a really powerful weapon to being able to overcome and understand things from their viewpoint. Because I think when you understand where something has come from that's been said, you can then plan your next move rather than saying, that was fucking ridiculous, mate. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm really glad you said that because I feel like this is actually a bit of a learnable moment for me because actually, so actually going back to that moment, I, I could have stepped in and said, oh, mate, you can't. I, you're, you're so right, like towing the line between not being aggressive and I hate, I very much hate, I'd say a passive person really I hate aggression, but like, so I could have said, I mean, the guy was sort of walking away. So I could have gone, Oh mate, you can't say that or come on mate. It's 2023. Or I guess there probably would have been a way to, to do it. Um, I guess I kind of missed that chance to be a, to be an ally in that, in that moment. Um, but I'm glad we had this chat actually, because I think if it happens again, then I will say something. I don't know. It's hard in the moment, isn't it? It's, it's no hard. Really to say exactly. Yeah. It's, it's so hard and there's never a right and wrong answer and your comfort levels will be different depending on your, your mental well-being. And I think you always have to put your mental well-being first as well. Like be selfish in that because sometimes you just don't know what's going to happen if you do kind of call people in right. But the fact that you're thinking about, oh, maybe I could have done something is valuable. Like, okay, you didn't call anything out, but the fact of the matter is your action now is you're reflecting and yeah. can I do something next time? You might not do something next time, but again, you'll have that lens of if I'm going to kind of try and leave the world in a better place that I found it, maybe it is just having that lens of, okay, what, what can I achieve and and what can I do to maybe help others? But again, it's li- little steps, right? Not everyone is confrontational and has unapolog- unapologetic conversations like I do. But again, I, I get paid to do that. So <laughs> I'm all right. I'm yeah. fine. <laughs> what I could have done is waited till the guy was out of earshot and gone, racist prick. And then I would have just felt, everyone would have, I would have felt better with myself. And not have to... <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I, just to clarify, I won't do that. That's a terrible yeah, yeah, idea. Yeah, it's not the right way forward. I was going to say, Zoe, because obviously like, you've had your own experiences and then you're having conversations every day about these other people's experience. Is there, like, you know, for your own mental well-being, I guess it's a lot to take on emotionally yeah. a lot of the time. How, how do you deal with that kind of stuff? Good question. There's a thing called a bottle of wine that enters (laughs) my bloodstream at five o'clock every day. No, I'm joking. Do you know what? It's it's a conversation that I'm having um, with some of my colleagues. I'm really lucky in a sense of a lot of the friends that I really value give me spaces to just be unapologetically me and I can offload and I can vent and I can share. They understand my frustration. So for me, my support network around me are really important people. Um, Sometimes I internalise a lot of stuff, but I always kind of go revert back to, I've been at my lowest moment. I've been alone. I've kind of had that 
worst case scenario so now I think because I fl- maybe flex those muscles I can offload a little bit I like to go for walks I know what I like to be able to recharge my batteries I've got you know amazing messages from people sometimes that says you know what what you said today what you did today like really made me feel seen or I, I really learned something today like even what you said Jim around I really learned something today I'm like oh, that for me is like therapy because I know that I'm kind of staying true to my values. So I think it sounds really cliche. If you find a job you love, you never work a day in your life. Mm. I work so bloody hard, right? But actually, because I love it, when I do get the feedback that I set up or um, or designed to kind of create for myself, that's the offload piece for me. And then apart, aside from that, when I'm having bad days, I've got a really good support network that are in similar spaces. And we can just have that unapologetic conversation. And my, my line manager is amazing for that. So shout out to my line manager as well for just giving me that space to say, I'm having a really shit day today. You'll yeah. never guess what I heard. You know, mm. it's like, it's, it's one of those spaces. That's right. I think, and you said it a minute ago, didn't you, about men, put your mental health first. It's like the old um, oxygen mask analogy, isn't it? Like, put your oxygen mask on first. Now. I mean, it's so true because you can't, you won't be in a in a space or a position or a sort of mental, or I, guess, I guess mental or physical space to do anything right or help anyone or or make a change unless you are putting yourself first. And I guess that can be anything from going to therapy or having a space to vent or taking a breather on your own or or just taking going for a walk or whatever it takes for you to get in that space I think that's really important and you know Charles is right you you're 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 doing such a important thing and making such a big change but it does probably bring a load but I think you know I'm going to come away this is one of those episodes I'm going to come away having learned a lot from from this um so I really appreciate you being on but I think Again, I'm I'm, I'm 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 rambling and going nowhere. Um, I guess I'm just gonna I just thank you and look after yourself. I guess is what I'm rounding thank off to you. say. <laughs> no, thank you. It is a I think it's a learning journey and it, it is a learning curve. Like, don't get me wrong, there are days where I'm like, why do I do this? This is really tough. This is really hard. But I guess that really kind of goes back to when you when you know what you stand for and why you stand for something. And I know what I kind of. Um, what I wanted to do that this is what I wanted to create for myself it was never an option back in the day but I now really see the value and the weight behind that that really helps and it really helps me understand like the bigger purpose I'm not going to change Edie and I on my own make the world a really inclusive place in my lifetime I don't think we're ever going to get it done in like the next maybe in our time on this earth put it that way I think we have to hand it down and leave it in a better space for the next generation to take it on and it's about those little milestones and those little pieces that really kind of keep you going when you're tackling this kind of marathon not a sprint if we're going to use a sports analogy like you know inclusion work takes time it's not a project there's kind of really no end date because everything's dynamic but I think if the one real key factor is knowing yourself if you know yourself and you understand kind of when things are getting heavy and how to offload that kind of really helps in that space as well but it's taken me a long time to get there a long long time but I've had to really be at the lowest of my low to be able to sort of manage it now which goes back to that failing piece I failed a lot in sport I have I okay I've represented the country fantastic but actually at the same time personally at the at the lowest end of my of my worth my self-worth because I place all my value on winning I place all my worth Mm. on bringing back stuff when personally I was crumbling so I think 
professional sport again I'm kind of going around the houses here and trying to link everything together but professional sports does really teach you that you have to almost um split your identities you've got your professional sense but you also have to have that personal sense and they won't align in fact they'll be totally opposite but the narrative around how you mentally get get inside your head and understand kind of that motivation to keep going is what kind of brings me through now in my work when I'm like this is really tough this is really really tough but I've got that resilience from that professional sport that's interesting what you're saying there about those difficult times when you're when you're in sport, when you're doing the sport and how there aren't necessarily the sport networks there for, you know, for you and, you know, others as well. And I, I was wondering if that's something that's improving, you know, I mean, guess that was a while ago that you that was happening for you. But is that something that's improving, do you think, mental health within sport? I think there's definitely more weight on it. I think more can definitely be more can be done. If you look at the sporting realms, for instance, and how early football academies get children and they are yeah. children, you know, I know from my um from working in high performance sport, I had to get children to think and perform like adults, seven, eight, nine years old, do strength and conditioning, train a long, a long time, you know, when they want to be going out playing with their friends or on the Xbox or whatever that kind mm. of might look like for them. They have to sacrifice so much as kids. So, you know, to then kind of go through a system and then get to the very end and maybe, you know, I think you've got more chance of winning the of winning the lottery than kind of getting selected for some, especially in yeah. football, yeah. for some yeah. of these teams to then be like cast aside at 16 or 18 and there'd be no support mechanism. It's horrifying because people really build up and I think parents get involved in that as well, or carers and they're like, oh, you know, you're, for, you're from a performance pathway, you know, you're going to make it, you're going to make it and then you don't you've let your family down you've let like you know your teammates down or whatever that you've let yourself down like whatever that looks like it's just a catalyst for disaster that people are getting better now but again I still feel like from an inclusive lens there are different disparities where mental health is spoken about differently we're still kind of really creating and catering for the white narrative which is fine that's kind of your your kind of standard but there's so many communities that don't talk about their mental well-being because it's just not culturally what they do and if we look at other sports they're so immature in talking about well-being they kind of promote this kind of sense of yeah we'll talk about it there might be athlete advisors and stuff but again how culturally aware things get heavy you know from a when you're constantly listening to people's problems it can get really heavy and if you don't know yourself like I made reference to earlier it's like how do you offload and it's that trickling effect really but yes I do think we're talking about it more but I don't think enough action's being done um, around kind of developing it better because nobody is immune to poor mental health. Nobody mm. is immune to slipping up or getting into their head or, you know, just not functioning or firing and all. So then there's nobody's immune to that. So for me, I'm like, it's kind of a, excuse the pun, no brainer to, you know, try and build that. Cause that's so important, right? If your mate, if your brain is not, there and you're constantly distracted it's really hard to then pick yourself back up again especially when there's a lot of pressure put on you yeah i mean yeah. it's something we've talked about on the pod before um name drop when we had gary neville come on because um it was something that he yeah big clang he 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 went through a uh, a period of having some mental health issues went and spoke to a, a psychologist um or psychiatrist I can't remember which one it was um but he was afraid to speak 
to his manager about it because he thought he was going to be dropped from the team. And I guess that is another side to it, is that if you are a high-performance athlete, footballer, rugby player, whatever it is, it's that not only are you dealing with the mental health issue, but you're also worried about speaking about it and reaching out because you feel like you might be ostracised in some way. Absolutely. I think that's so, it's so true in what you say. There's so much stigma around this. And I had a conversation with a friend of mine and she was like, I've got a therapist. And and, we were, and I said to her, it's actually really refreshing to know that you don't have to be broken and have a therapist. Yeah. You, know, you can just have an offload. Yes, like, I feel like, again, there's still the stigma of I've got a therapist. It's like, what's wrong? Yeah. You know, not... I've got a therapist. Oh, I just want to offload, yeah. you know, having a conversation with someone that like, you don't have to be broken to have a therapist. So I think if we can normalize that, I think, again, it's a cultural thing societally. It's a cultural thing to know that you can have different methods to protect your mental well-being. Nobody is immune to kind of, you know, feeling low and low mood and, and getting themselves into a real traumatic cycle. Nobody is, is immune to that. It's not a case of how it's going to happen. It's almost a case of when I feel personally, mm. because, you know, things change so quickly at the drop of a hat. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I'm going around the houses now, Giles, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent now, but I think, yeah, there needs to be more conversations to normalize it and people to feel like when they talk and say that they're having a bad day, that it is listened to mm. and people don't see it as a sign of weakness, but actually a sign of strength. Because how often do you sit and internalize a lot of stuff and not say anything and just think it'd be better to stay silent? And that's just really counterproductive. Talking about positivity, let's talk, let's have a quick conversation about positives because there must be lots of positive outcomes from some of the work you do. Is there any that you you're able to share with us? Oh, do you know what, Giles? That's quite that's quite a loaded question to be about. And there's so many different things that kind of come to my brain because again, it's kind of where do we really place success and value on sure. success, right? That looks so different to different yeah. people. For me, like I get the same amount of um like humbleness, warmth from maybe a child doing a like pocket rocket pass in rugby for the first time or catching a ball for the first time to seeing someone's EDNI strategy been delivered on like that year that I yeah. know that they've worked really, really hard for. So for me, it's just seeing those achievements. Um, and again, I, I maybe have a very, very different viewpoint on kind of what success looks like, because I think we can, again, going into that narrative of everything has to be the best. Yeah, it's yeah. like, what's the biggest piece of work that I've done when I work with, you know, I work across the whole sport and physical activity set that there's, not very many people that do what I get to do that get trusted with people's babies in the sense of work, in their ideas, help them bring stuff to life, help them begin to, um, you know, bring in and generate more money, you know, whatever that kind of looks like for them, I kind of get to support them. But it's really, for me, it's just being able to be happy, if I'm totally honest, in a, in a space that I really value. But if we're looking at kind of, I know you probably want some metrics around what I can do. It's, people's eating our strategies it's seeing that actually we are seeing a, a shift in that sustainable practice around inclusive recruitment it is understanding that whenever I deliver things like unconscious bias that people are kind of actively taking on those things those thought processes and they're using them because that's where we're going to see the difference um I've, I've written a five-year strategy EDNI strategy for a national governing body when I was in a head of EDNI role that has kind of come to life and it's been amazing to see that come to life and the lives that that has changed um been speaking around how we can use sport to as a social catalyst so for people that might have had an accident and then they might be a wheelchair user now how can we use sport as their kind of next social element how can we connect them because you've gone from maybe being one sense to having an accident to then maybe being in another sense but sport has a real powerful 
part to play if we look at the Paralympic system and the kind of what's achievable and stuff now by being able to make it more accessible for grassroots participants it gives them that sense of purpose again that actually it's not the end it's actually just the beginning but on a very different journey so for me it's understanding and working with um, a national governing body and lots of spinal injury units to connect that together wow. it's also using sorry Giles I'm going off on, on a bit of a tangent now you started me off I said I was going to be humble and I'm bragging no go for it <laughs> brag go for away. it brag away that sounds it's, amazing it's using, you know, sport to to change people's lives around. I think for me when I was yeah. I was seventeen and I was like I saw this group of kids that were, you know, on the road for destruction. They were known by the police. They were really destructive. They were gang violence, it like the full lot, the worst possible narrative that you can create in that space. And I was like, I remember one day I was just like, why why are you doing this? Asking that question, why is really powerful? And they were just like, well, just just want a bit of respect, right? And I thought, ah, okay, if you want respect, come be a coach. Come with me, come shadow a session, see what it's like. We're going to do freestyle, free running parkour. Come and have a look. They came in, they saw it, mesmerized. Oh my God, can we come back next week? They were off the Amazing. streets and they were participating. You know, 15, 16 year old boys, right? came back they were with us for about six months and then I was like you know what I really see you and I think you'd be really great at you know maybe trying and doing a bit of coaching mentoring if you want to for some of the other kids coming in because again it was a very open open session they began sort of you know take a bit of charge and you could see that they just completely changed right from coming in with their hoods up and like feeling like you know you have to be perceived as being like a roadman or hermit, whatever. I don't. I don't know that the terminology or the lingo. So I probably sabotage that. Um, but they just they began to take care of themselves. They were proud. Yeah. They looked after their space. They helped. They hoovered. You know. I was like, <laughs> all right, definitely sold. Like definitely sold. And you know, they didn't have the the atypical entry into their coaching right and I again remember sitting down with them and saying right we need to do a coaching logbook so you have to go through all of these questions tell me how you go through all this motion some of them were dyslexic some of them just just could not write and I sat down with each and every one of them took them through honestly at the time I was like what am I doing this is ridiculous (laughs) I've got other stuff to be doing here but they passed their level one exam. They're still coaching now. And I look at their Instagram nice. posts and look at kind of what they're achieving now. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Incredible. Nice. And that for me is like, just sums everything up about sport, why I love sport, my values, the impact that I want to see, and to show that it can be done if we just give people a chance, because we can so quickly brush people off as being disregarded, disposable, not good. But if you meet people where they are, magic can happen. Completely agree. I think your biggest achievement there is getting 15-year-old lads to Hoover. I mean, that is I mean... impressive. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing's going to top that. That's 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 top level. I'll yeah. take that. Um, I'll put that on my CV. Top. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's um, amazing. So uh, it's been yeah. so brilliant to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time today. Honestly, so many things. Lots of tangible stuff that we can take away as well. Jim and I can take away. I think. Definitely. And um, just fascinating to hear what you've been doing. I want to ask you one last question though, and that you know, I know you go to a lot of sporting events. I look at your Instagram stories. <laughs> um, what what would you say was your is your favourite thing to go and watch? Because I know you're quite into rugby and stuff, but yeah, what is what's up there as a as a favourite sporting event? Oh, favourite sporting event. That's a tough one. If you'd have asked me maybe 
I'd say even like two years ago, I would have definitely just been like, you know, rugby. I love it. It was something that was never really accessible to me. I was told I couldn't play. So I wanted to really be invested in it in other ways. Hence why I coached and like I watch it. But I think now I really love seeing women's sport grow. And it sounds really cliche, but women's football is a really similar environment Mm. to rugby. There's a lot Mm. of respect there. I feel really safe there. So I love seeing that actually this is a pioneering, I think, event from a global perspective mm. where actually football is, is unanimously, I think, probably one of the most popular sports, if I'm being really biased, but also seeing it grow in other areas. So for me, I think women's football, because I know the sacrifices, the inequity there, but they're still there. They're still yeah. trying. So for me, I think it's women's football. But yeah, that, that seems a bit cliche. No, no, not I at think all. Like, women's football is great. And um, you saw from 2021 men's Euros to 2022 women's Euros, <laughs> just the difference in how football should be done yeah. and should be watched and played. And, the, you know, the word respect's come up a lot today. The respect that the female players have for each other and actually have for the game is incredible. Well, you could argue the for the officials as well. For the officials, yeah. for their opponents, for the fans. I think female players are closer to their fans. There's some real... Right, I mean, Leah Williamson is an absolute... There's some real role models there yeah, in, that, models. in that game. Mm. Um, and I think that's a great shout. I have a final question as well. Okay. Um, it's a double is, final Oh, it's a double round. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not quite as good as Giles' question. Um, what is... what? Well, I think it's for all three of us, but what is your favourite sandwich? <laughs> oh, now, now you're talking. This is, this I real, have one. Well, this is a real hard question. I know, this is like yeah. off the cuff. I yeah, thought I'm going to be judged. It's like, it's like yeah, question yeah. time. Yeah, I thought Jesus. I'm going yeah, yeah. to be judged by my choice. I mean, if I have avocado on toast, is that a sandwich if I put it together? But the, yeah. the, the, the chokehold that brioche rolls have got on me at the moment Ooh. are just... Yeah. So yeah. you're talking like a sort of a bap? A brioche yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like nice. a brioche roll yeah. with a layer of cheese, some avocado, getting all the healthy fats oh my goodness. in there. Yeah, yeah. That's... But I feel you know like I'm what? being you, judged. I, I love that. No, I love that. And you could go one more. So when my wife and I lived in Tulse Hill, there was a little cafe around the corner and they did something called an Aussie. And it, was, it wasn't it was brioche, to be fair. And I think brioche takes it next level. There's two slices of bread, melted cheese, avocado, and a bit of marmite. And it oh, was, a, honestly... The mm. filth. That 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 is food sandwich filth right there. The mom might just add it, takes it to the next level. Honestly, it's so good. It's not my favourite sandwich. Though. My favourite sandwich is baguette normally, but bread's fine. But like a baguette kind of rolly roll kind of thing. Um, peanut butter, so a layer of peanut Ooh, butter. Wait a minute, this is good. Um, honestly, and this then is, this is controversial. He's proud. He's proud of yes, this one. I really am. It gets more controversial than a layer of brie. Few pre slices. Brie and peanut butter. This is yeah. this is madness. Yeah. And then you this is the sandwich of a madman. Judging that you top it off <laughs> by some very very thin apple slices on top. What the? That's the whole buffet. Uh, that's a whole, whole buffet. buffet. That's, that's a lot that of a food groups. There's five a day in there as well. <laughs> Mate, that's a weird. That I'm sorry, that's quite a Honestly, weird sandwich, mate. It inclusive really language, Giles. Inclusive language, Giles. Come on, exactly. we, okay. Yeah. That was, meet people where they are. That's an unusual sandwich. <laughs> An acquired taste. Yeah. It's an acquired taste, but it works. Honestly, I'm so I will, apple, um, peanut butter, and brie. Yeah. Yeah. It's the peanut I butter. Would, I, the apple and brie, I, I kind of 
get, but they have a. It, I mean, you have to be a peanut butter fan, I think, and I am a big peanut butter fan. Although you do get really you works. do get those things in Tesco's with peanut butter and apple slices, don't you? Um, okay, um, I. Uh, what am I going to choose for mine? See, I'd go for something like a BLT, but that's quite a boring choice. Um, I actually. I love a toasted cheese sandwich, but like a proper dirty, you know, butter on the outside of the bread. I had one the other day. We got um, French stick, but it was like one of those salt and pepper ones. Uh, and then three types of cheese. So I think it was that cheddar. There was a, oh, wow. a, a, a uh, like some sort of um, Emmental style cheese and then some mozzarella and then melt it in like a like a sandwich toaster. That tastes like the next tax bracket, Giles, if I'm honest. Like the amount of cheese that you've got in there. The amount of cheese you've got in there. I'm like, how's this man? How's that the cost of living crisis? Not a thing for Giles. He's like, I'm going to put all the different cheeses in there. <laughs> that is the next tax bracket sandwich, Giles. Cheese tax. Own it. Oh, my good. Yeah. Own it. Uh, I'm, yeah. I don't have them very often. And are you talking, Charles? You're talking about you're talking about where the cheese has like got crusty on the edge, yes. burnt a little bit. I'm talking about that, Jim. Yeah. I'm talking about a dirty cheese toasty. There's yeah. a movie called Chef with John Favreau in it, and they make this particular cheese sandwich in that movie, and it's kind of it kind of an ode to that. So yeah, if you I haven't seen that. the film che- Chef, they make an amazing cheese sandwich in it. I'm really hungry now. Yeah, me I'm too. Like, me too. I'm gonna go make a. I'm gonna go try. I'm gonna have a little like buffet of my own. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Going to be looking through the, looking through the cupboards to see if there's any peanut butter in there. That's it. That's it. Do it. Honestly, Make do it. it. It's it. life-changing. <laughs> Zoe, thank you so much. Honestly, such a You're pleasure welcome. to have you on and um, so lovely to see you. So thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been a real highlight of my day after the stressful day we've had oh. today. <laughs> I think I've seen every single train station, had every meeting somewhere oh, different across the country today. But no, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate it. Thank you. Zoe Smail on the Blank podcast. What an absolute legend. Could have spoken to her for hours. I know we yeah. say that every week, but genuinely true. Um, inspiring is the word you used in the intro, and I think that's absolutely bang on. So, yeah, thank you, Zoe, for coming on and uh, for the work you do as well and yeah. for educating me today. And I, I got, I got, I, I had a teachable moment, and that's really nice, actually. Uh, I think as adults, we don't often op- open ourselves up to those teachable moments. You know, I've got two young kids, and we're always talking about, yeah, always oh, that a teachable moment for our kid. And but actually, I think as adults, we need to be open to have them as well. So, yeah, I really, I really feel like I've learned something today. So, yeah, what a yeah. day. Yeah, it's, and it's being aware to be receptive to those things, isn't it? And like taking those things on board. I think you're you're to- so right. We can always be learning. I mean, we learn something new every day, whether we want to or not. Quite frankly, but yeah, yeah. And also, it's always nice when we have guests on the pod who can give us something tangible we can take away with us. And so much stuff that I learned on this um, this episode. And like you said, like there's some tangible advice and um, and ideas that, you know, we can take forward in our own conversations with people and the way we interact with people. It's so important. Yeah, 
Completely agree. So, uh, and, I, and I hope our listeners, I'm sure they will, will feel the benefits of this episode as well. But uh, of course, you can always get in contact with us. Let us know what you've taken away from from this and other episodes um, on our social medias. Our handles on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter is Blank Pod. That's right. And there's a bit of extra for our patrons as well, isn't there? Mm. Patrons always get a bit extra each week. So our patron is patron.com slash blank podcast. If you fancy a little bit of extra content from this and every episode, please do join us, join the community, and uh, we'll yeah. love you for it. We do. We we love our patrons. We do. Um, I need to kind of lie down, I think. I think I need to yeah, go and have a rest. Recharge yeah. my batteries. Yeah. What I do when when... What I used to do with the kids were little is um, always play hospitals and I would be the patient and I'd just get them to bring me drugs and um, like get them to take your temperature and then just say, I really need some rest now. Maybe could you could put me into an induced coma and (laughs) and then get them to inject you with all the sedatives and then you can just fall asleep. Uh, Yeah. Okay. That sounds great. I'm going to try and try that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll see you next week on the Blank Pod. Have a good one. Don't get cancelled. Thank you.